today I have the pleasure of talking to Debbie Osborne. She's based in America and she's fascinating. Uh, she spent decades working with traumatized children. She was a social worker before she experienced burnout, uh, Home uh, group home parent. She was a criminal prosecutor working on uh, cases of child sexual abuse. Then she ch turned to civil law and she supports charities and youth organizations. She's a volunteer. She's a board member. Uh, she's a foster parent, as I said. She's a step parent and now she's a foster grandmother. Uh, raising a grandchild. She's written a book. Uh, it's called Raising Other People's Children. What foster parenting has taught me about bringing together a blended family. And what Debbie really wanted to do was just share some experiences and some lessons that fostering and having stepchildren has taught her over the years. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Oh, I'm so pleased much. to be talking to you. Oh, it's so nice to to have you on the show. We've been planning this for a while now, haven't we? Yes, we have, trying to fit our schedules together. So, But yeah. I'm very glad we made it. Yeah, yeah, me too. So I would love you just to paint a picture of who you are, where you are. Let us sort of understand your world. All right. Well, I started out, uh, I've, I've always been involved in working with young people. My parents were um, very involved in volunteer work, and then they both got jobs in our local detention center um, for minors and young offenders. And um, I, I joke, I, I spent my adolescence in and out of the juvenile detention center. <laughs> <laughs> doing volunteer work and, and visiting my parents. And so, I, so I, I took that passion with me. I worked as a social worker for um, almost four years. Um, I burned out. Uh, I, I just got tired of dipping out the ocean with a teaspoon. Mm -hmm. And so I retreated to law school. But I, I stayed involved in uh, volunteer work, working with kids. I um I, I have career ADD, so I've done quite a few jobs mm -hmm. in my in my time, and I worked as a, um, a criminal prosecutor of um, child abuse and and sexual crimes. And during that time, I, I was single. My job it was emotionally demanding, but the um, schedule was was fairly sensible. So I signed up to work as a um, foster parent with a local agency there who I was working with and started out first as respite care, just providing weekend care for kids, and then um, ended up with two long-term placements. So I, I was I was a parent before I was married. Um, I, I actually have never had biological children. I've just worked with the, the foster kids. And then when I left that job and moved back closer to my home, there were a lot of family reasons. My, my mother got sick and, and I needed to move back closer to home. Um, and it was after that that I met and fell in love with my uh, now husband. And he was a um, single father with five kids. Um, wow. Well, three of them were out of the house. So it was just the two at home and he had custody of them. And so um, between his kids and my kids, um, I have collected seven kids and 10 grandkids. And so, yeah, we, we ended up doing five years of kinship care. One of my um, 
foster kids hit a really rough patch and we inherited uh, that foster grandchild. And um, that, that was probably the toughest um, placement that I've had. And so right now my husband and I are, uh, we're, we're taking a break. We're enjoying our empty nest and we are um, actually looking at volunteering with a group that does mentoring for young adults who have aged out of the foster system and were not able to connect with a family uh, before they left the system. So that's one of our, um, a new direction we're looking at now. Well, that's really interesting because, you know, in the UK, when when a, a child hits the age of 18, you know, the adult services are, are not the same, you know, and they often yeah. feel abandoned or lost or so I love the fact that you're gonna you're you're moving into that volunteer area but tell me um because from from the um the 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 prosecution work that you did you moved then into civil law and family courts did you well I I don't do family law what I actually have moved into I, I sort of it's a long story of how I've I've landed in this this um uh narrow client base um, that I have, but that is I do civil work and I work with um, youth serving organizations, um, camps, child care centers, private schools, mentoring groups, um, just any any of these groups that, that work with young people. And it, it really is a natural extension of, of my life and my passion because mm-hmm. I, it, it, I'm just working with the same groups. I'm just now providing legal services. And my legal services range from advice to helping them fight the authorities for their license or defending them in lawsuits that, that range from, you know, simple slip and fall cases to um, accusations of child abuse. And yeah. I do a lot of internal investigations for those child abuse. So really everything that I've done in my life working with kids has sort of coalesced and, and uh, informed my legal practice. Well, I can, I can see that. And I, and I, and I really want to move on and talk to you about your book, but I'm, I just want to ask you about the fact that when you were working with uh, you're prosecuting sex offenders or you're looking at child abuse cases, how did that affect how, how did that affect the fact that you were also a parent, possibly of people who maybe had experienced those things? Was that starting to clash for you? It, it didn't actually clash. I, I actually was a foster parent for abused kids because of my background and my training. The um, foster agency put the, the more high need kids with me. Um, and it, it really, it, it didn't clash that much because one thing about being a prosecutor is I, I had a limited role. You know, law enforcement doesn't do therapy. So my job was just to go in, to get the facts together, to work with the victim long enough to, to help them tell their story in court without, uh, well, with as little trauma as possible. And then, um, then depend on the, the rest of the social services net to take them from there. 
you know, one, once I had done my job in the courtroom, I didn't have any more contact with, with the um, victims. So they, they went into other directions and, and right. whatever social safety net there is was then kicked in. With my, my foster kids, I was a part of that social safety net, but it was different because unlike prosecution, for example, I, I didn't worry about the details of what had happened. I just needed to know that something had happened. Um, so I wasn't go- pushing them past their comfort zone like I had to do as a prosecutor. The um, And then, then the other thing was, you know, we, we were involved in a lot of therapy and working in a lot of feelings and and dealing with a lot of um, rules, house rules, you know, kids, particularly teenagers, they they push boundaries and they break rules. It's, it's what they do. And so as a parent, it was um, my job to provide structure for them. Whereas as a prosecutor, I didn't have any of those responsibilities. No, I, I can see that. that. Yeah, so I can it, see that. It, it, it was not that difficult um, to compartmentalize. I did have to deal with the emotions and I had to be very careful not to bring my, my story or my emotions home from work. But that is all prosecutors and all law enforcement that we just have to learn how to do that no matter what, what cases we're handling. Yeah. So you have this wealth of um, experience on both sides of the system, which I, I just find fascinating. And it led you to, to um, write your book, Raising Other People's Children, What Foster Parenting Taught Me About Bringing Together a Blended Family. And I, uh, and I love, and I, I, I can see it, the, the audience won't be, I can see it behind you. And, um, and I'm, I'm really, really interested to, to understand what the messages were that you wanted to give out. Because, you know, it's things like talking about um, um, being a step parent or a foster parent isn't plan B, or if it is plan B, plan B isn't worse. You know, yes. plan B is still as good as. Um, and you and I were talking off air um, about, you know, being step parents and the whole evil stepmother kind of thing. And so I just, yes. you know, could you could you tell us about the book and the messages that you felt like you really wanted to get across? Well, I I start the book with a story of um, my my youngest son at one point um, it, there was a custody dispute going on between uh, my husband and, and uh, his ex-wife. And we were trying to, to get the youngest son's opinion. And, and he, he was resisting answering our questions. He did not want to sound, say anything that sounded like he was taking sides. How old and was he? Um, he was uh, 12 at the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course we we weren't trying to get him to take sides. We just wanted a data point before we traveled, before we spent a lot of resources chasing down an outcome if he was opposed to that outcome. So um, my husband asked him, said, "Let me ask it to you this way: If you had a magic wand, what would your life look like?" Mm. And um, our son, with with no hesitation whatsoever said, well, if I had a magic wand, Dad, you and Mom would be back together. 
Mm. And and there was this long pause. And then he looked over at me very concerned and said, no, no insult, Debbie. You, you and the dogs would be right next door. And so this, this, this child and I, we had bonded. We were very close. Fortunately, I didn't get my feelings hurt. I didn't take it personally because that's how I start my book. From the child's point of view, whether we are foster parents or step parents, we are not the people who are supposed to be there. Yeah. And we have to understand that. That, that we are, are not the people who are supposed to be in their lives. We never will be. And that's okay. Yeah. We can still have a wonderful relationship with them. And we don't have to worry about taking over and replacing their biological parents. Yeah. And, and, and that, in fact, if we do try to replace their biological parents or set up a competition, we're going to lose the competition. Yeah. It, it does not matter how wonderful we are. We are simply not their biological parent, and yeah. and there's no changing that. So that was a big part of, of what I wanted to, to get across is that, that we can still have a great relationship and still be a, a wonderful part of their lives as long as we understand our place, which is to the side of their biological parents. So I talk about in one of my chapters, I talk about dealing with the people who are supposed to be there. Sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. It, it, again, I've, I've dealt with a lot of situations. My, my stepsons have a mother who, who is very involved and very caring. My foster kids, it varied. Some of their parents were there. Some of them promised to be there and then didn't show up. And um, others of them were long gone and completely disappeared. So uh, I had to help them. Had to help them navigate those problems and deal with those issues without ever once saying negative things about their parents. You know, that's sort of the um, yeah. the, the basic rule is you, um, you you just never trash the parents and Absolutely. you hear any criticism. Hundred percent, and I that's you know I said to you that I have two stepsons. I've never actually met their mother ever. And and I want their mum to be as happy as she can be, because when she's happy, you know, there's the lads don't feel so responsible. You know, right. they're not looking out for her. It feels easier. These are grown up lads now. But the last thing they need from me is to trash their mum. Yes. Why would I do that? Why would I ever do that? It it it. We have to not trash their parents, but at the same time, part of our job is helping our kids develop a healthy relationship with their parents, which may mean helping them separate out what is their responsibility from their parents' responsibility and um, setting healthy boundaries with yeah. their parents. And mm. that is, uh, you know, I've had kids whose, whose parents um, had substance abuse issues and mm. the, the kids end up, it, it, the relationship gets inverted. The, the, the kids end up being the parent and being the adult in that situation. Yeah. And, and you have to walk a very fine line because part of my job is to help them get back to being a kid and saying, this is not your responsibility. Mm. 
but to do it without sounding negative about their parents takes a very light touch. And, um, and, and to help, you know, one of the things I've, I've had kids, you know, parents who wanted to talk to them and, and I, I tell a story about a child who his parent called me and was yelling on the phone and then demanded to talk to their kid. And, and I just said, no, because, hmm. um, you know, when parents are yelling on their phone, their child's not available. It's not the right time. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not the right time. Yeah. Um, so to help the kids know um, what boundaries, healthy boundaries they can establish and learning how to do that, it, it's a tough balance. We can't just be hands off if we're going to, to help our kids grow into adults. At the same time, we can't push beyond or give them more uh, advice than they're willing to listen to. Yeah. And often advice that they haven't asked for. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. And, it, and, it's not, and, and I'm a fixer. I, I just fix things for people. And if people would just listen to and follow my advice and do what I told them to do, then their lives would be so much better and everything <laughs> would be hunky-dory. And, um, and so I, I just find myself falling into trying to convince them of that when what I really need to do is just keep my mouth shut until they ask for my opinion. When do you notice that? You know, do you ever notice, do you have a moment where you go, oh, I, I don't need to be fixing this right now? So, oh, um, at least two or three times a day with my kids because okay. I, either I will see them doing something or I hear about, usually it's a new relationship and and they're they're making the same old mistakes and and i see red flags or um they've got a job situation and and i'm thinking i'm, I'm listening to them describe their interactions and i'm thinking yeah been there said that got fired from that job <laughs> wouldn't necessarily suggest you do that and um and, and they don't want me to step in and point out the red flags that I'm seeing. They just want me to listen. And, and, uh, and that's the hardest thing to do is let kids make their own mistakes yeah. and let them fall and, and fail um, because that's how they learn. Yeah. Uh, 100%. 100%. Oh, that was nice. Thank you. So when you were writing the book, what was the hardest part of writing it? What was the hardest story or the hard, not the hardest story, like the content, but the, the aspect for you of actually putting it down and sharing it? Oh, I think talking about my mistakes and the struggles, you know, we, we all want to um, pretend, we all want to, want to talk about our successes and we want to pretend we didn't have any failures. So um, putting in some of the mistakes I made um, and, and then uh, the, this most, uh, the, the, the placement where um, I, I ended up having to, in the States, we call it disrupt the placement, meaning that we just couldn't keep this kid anymore. And um there were a lot of depression issues, suicide issues. It was just beyond our resources. And, and as I say in the book, I, I will d defend that decision to my dying day. 
but it may take me that long to quit feeling guilty about it. <laughs> so um, there's, um, and, and the fact that, you know, out of the seven kids, two of them don't speak to us um, because not every relationship is wonderful. And, and um, I, I, as I say in my book and I say on my blog, um these are, this is not, relationships are not like recipes or chemical formulas where you can add um, two parts of love and one part of patience and three parts of wisdom and mix it all up and, and um, you get exactly what you want. Um, people, our kids make their decisions and we can influence them. We can increase the odds. Um but nothing is ever certain and you just have to make yourself vulnerable and, and understanding that um, it may be a wonderful relationship or it may be something that is incredibly painful. So the other part that was hard for me was um, the, the, the last um, placement foster grandchild we had um, was extremely hard for me and my husband and, and I remember when I was writing the manuscript and, and I, I had him read it. Um, he kept giving it back to me and saying, no, it's too sanitized. You need to talk a little bit more about how really difficult it was. <laughs> and it was extremely hard reliving those difficulties. And I'm still not sure that I, I delved as deeply as I, as I could have or should have. Um, but I think that was the, the, the part that I, I realized I, I needed to say um, to foster parents and to step parents. You, when you step into a kid's story and, and a kid's history, um, you are taking on a challenging, extremely hard job. And there's nothing... Um, easy about it. Um, now, some of my relationships with my kids were very easy, but but even then, there's a responsibility to to uh, love them and take care of them and provide what they needed. Um, it it is one of those things that um, it is not easy to do. Now, at the end of the book, I say I would do it again in a heartbeat because. Yeah. It changed me in ways that um, I, I wouldn't have missed out on those lessons. Um, of course, there's things I would have done differently. I, I don't know to what extent it would have helped the relationship and what extent it would, you know. Yeah, it's, um, I, I just um, feel sort of drawn to sort of say that my, my sister, my older sister, she's got three lads. None of them live at home now. They've all grown up. And one of them, um, his friend at school had a very, very difficult home life, very, very difficult. And he was basically abandoned by both sets of parents. And um, and and my sister ended up taking him in. And in fact, she ended up kind of working with the social workers and fo and, and fostering him. Mm -hmm. And his his he's a lovely lad, but he struggled and he's, you know, this drug use, you know, all sorts of things going on. Yes. And sometimes people say to her, well, your lads have moved out now, so why don't you just sack him off? You know, why don't you just and, – and she's like – and he doesn't – this lad doesn't live there anymore. 
But when he turns up and he's hungry or he turns up and he needs a bed, she says, I'm not going to send him away because I'm the only person who he knows cares about him. His mum doesn't. His dad doesn't. Right. Right. And and so it's a privilege, really, that she's offering this human, this young lad. You know, even if he can't see it sometimes. Even if he can't. And that's that's one of the you, you always have to be there. I mean, we have always with our kids, even the ones um, that, that, that are, are angry. I don't know if they're angry at us. They're angry at life. They're just angry. Um, we have always said, I, you know where we are. We're here. You, you know, you are always welcome back. Um, I I can't go with you down this road you're going. I, I can't give you money. I'm not giving you any more money. I'm not. Um, these are the boundaries that we have set. But whenever you want to come back, we are here and the door is always open. And you you have to be willing to, to have that unconditional love that one-way, long-term commitment, and then you have to have it um, hedged about and protected by healthy boundaries. And that's another one of those really difficult, um, you know, the kids with substance abuse, you say, I love you, I care about you, not giving you money, you cannot do drugs at my house, but whenever you want to be clean, I will help you and you can come back. You know, there's just, um, your sister's right. They, they need to know that there is somewhere they can go whenever they want to try to get their act together and that there will be help for them to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've enjoyed um, looking at your blogs and, 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 and at the end of this podcast, we'll make sure that people know your website and I'll put it in the show notes as well. And those blogs are there. And one of them, you talk about expectations and you talk about having those conversations earlier. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. don't just wait until suddenly it's all kicked off and everybody's upset. There's, there's, you know, conversations can be had long before that leading up to the moments when somebody needs to start paying rent or moving out or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Part of, of making the commitment is knowing what your limits are and knowing how far they are. Um, you, you mentioned the, the paying rent. we We've always had a rule with our kids, you know, the teenagers obviously are, and, and the young adults are, are the ones that I'm talking about here. I've always had a rule that you have to be in school or um, you have to be contributing to the bills. And I, I don't charge rent because I don't want to fight over money. I just hand them one of the utility bills. And if it doesn't mm-hmm. get paid, that's between them and the utility company. I have my backup plan and, um, you know, I, I, I can always go to a hotel room if they get the electricity cut off. So well, that's so uh, interesting because you you step right back and you say, this isn't about the utility people will come to me and I'll sort Debbie will sort it out. You're like, no, 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 no. This is between you, you and the organization. I really like that. Yeah, it, it's part of being an adult. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I do a glide path. I don't give them all the bills. But if, mm, yeah. if, you're, if you're going to be an adult and make adult decisions and, and quit school, then you're not, you can't just lay around. You have to um, 
here's a bill. And and usually I start with the um, the cable, the internet bill, because again, that affects them more than it affects me. <laughs> and, um, but, but I just, I make that very clear up front with the kids. As long as you're in school, you are welcome to live here and I, we will help and we will do what we need to do. But if you ever flunk out or quit school, I, I'm not going to fuss. It's completely your life and your decision. Um, but we don't support that. We don't financially support uh, that decision. So, so here, here's, here's what it will be. And um, again, with with other kids, um, with foster kids, sometimes they just they don't know what happened that got them moved from home to home. And so, you need to make the commitment and be clear with them of this is what will get you kicked out, and this is. This is what will not get you kicked out, but you will wish you'd been kicked out. <laughs> These are the, the other milder consequences for milder offenses. Um, they, they just need to know where the boundaries are. Now, once you set the boundaries, expect them to, to test you and to push the boundaries because kids need that certainty. And the only way they can get the certainty is to, to push the boundaries. Um, and I, and sometimes they'll know. I remember one night, one of my foster daughters um, went out with some friends and, and came home and, and I, I heard them arguing out on the, the porch. And so I kind of meandered over where I could listen. And I heard her saying, no, 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 I'm not going back to um, that, that shopping center with you because you're going to use that those credit cards in that wallet you found. And if you get caught, your parents will um, bail you out of jail. But I live with Debbie, and she will let me stay in jail. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I, I I have made my point. And you know, sure enough, her friends went back, used the cards, got caught, ended up with. Uh, they didn't realize they were in that that um, the law in that particular jurisdiction. Um, they were not adults for civil purposes, but they were adults for criminal purposes. And yeah. so they got an adult conviction yeah. for credit card fraud that has kept them out of a lot of jobs. And, and your foster daughter saw through that and, and had the wisdom to say, because of the conversation she'd had, she'd been able to say, no, 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 I'm not doing it. Right. And she could blame you, but you know well you know with, with kids i'm not sure she really was thinking that far ahead i'm not sure she was really worried about her criminal record or her job prospects or anything i think she really was afraid that i would just let her sit in jail um and, and that was fine you know it was a it was enough of a penalty in the short term that it saved a lot of her responsibility her through that bit yeah right yeah right. yeah so i was wondering um because, you know, obviously I'm in the UK, you're in the States. And how how do you feel the system in your state or in, you know, your federal systems support the work that you do, foster parent, foster grandparent? Do you, do you feel that, that there's, there's adequate no. vision to support you? There is not. Um, there is there is some support. But one of the biggest issues we have is there's just not enough mental health support. And I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know that you can just throw money at it because part of the problem is that the, the people who 
take these jobs and, and work with these kids, they they don't really want to be there. So they'd all rather be in private practice rather than working for the government. So they're only there until they can get something else. Um, so it, it, and it, it's really not so much the money as it is the autonomy. You know, when you're in private practice, you, you can uh, you can make your own decisions. Whereas when you're working for the government, you've got a whole lot of rules and responsibilities that, that, that make it extremely yeah. difficult. And, and the paperwork, oh, goodness, the paperwork. Because you talked um, about burnout, didn't you, as a social yes. worker right at the start? Yes. Mm. Yes, yes. It's a huge problem in, in the field. Um, so, I, and, and foster parents, um, I, I've posted some on my blog about foster parents who, who were prosecuted for things that were basically accidents. Um, that's not how you recruit good foster parents. You don't recruit good foster parents by going after people who, whose kids have accidents. And so... Um, there's a lot of different pieces of the system that, that cause a lot of disincentives um, for kids. And, and a lot of the kids are just extremely difficult and you have to, um, they need more specialized care. They, they need um, a lot, most of the time, a lot of them need residential treatment because they're beyond the ability of an individual family to do the therapy and the structure and the, the constant 24-7 supervision that they need until that that frontal lobe develops and they can well, start making sensible decisions. Absolutely. I mean, that's a whole... I'm actually having a, a podcast with um, Nicola Morgan, who's an author who's written Blame the Brain, The Amazing Teenage Brain, talking yeah. about all of that. So I'm quite excited about that. That's a big issue. Yes. So do, could you see yourself... Um, ever you know with the background that you've got with the experience and the knowledge and the the law background that you, you've got could you ever see yourself being like a policy change maker i have thought of that i don't have the patience to delve into the details and i definitely don't have the patience to lobby politicians i just <laughs> am not <laughs> read I'm into not that what you will <laughs> yes <laughs> Fair enough. I just do not. Now, I, I work with people who are very good at it and, and they do a great job. And I, I provide them information and, and we partner very well. Um, but I, I, I can only uh, I can only boost someone's ego for a short period of time. And then I start telling, saying what I really think. So. Well, good for, good for you. I just get a sense that if there were more people with your experience, knowledge and background, then, you know, maybe some people might start listening. But anyway, we won't get into politics. <laughs> um, so so to, if there was any one message, you know, if, some, if somebody were listening to you and resonating as a foster parent, as a foster grandparent, as a step parent, you know, whatever it is, if there was one message that you wanted to give other than buy my book, <laughs> what, what would it be? Well, I think I would say that that's as I said, stepping into a child's history as a foster parent or as a step parent, 
is is a challenging job, but it is the most rewarding thing that I have ever done. And that if a, a left-brained, empathy-challenged lawyer can, <laughs> if, if I can develop good relationships with traumatized kids, um, then anyone can do it. Mm, nicely said. Nicely said, Debbie. So if somebody wanted to get hold of your book, you know, buy a copy of your book, if they wanted to read your blogs, if they wanted to just reach out and make contact with you, how would they do that? Well, the easiest way is um, the if they're interested in looking at and buying my book, um, they can go to raisingotherpeopleschildren.com. And then um, my website, the easiest way to get to my website is raising other people's children dot blog and that um takes straight to my the blog section of my website and it is part of my overall website which is uh, debbieosborne.com but um, my last name may be hard to spell so um if if they go to raising other people's children dot blog then they can follow the links to everywhere else from there oh fantastic and i'll put all that in the show notes okay it's been my absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing well, some of those that. stories, that wealth of wealth of experience. Uh, good luck with the foster grandparenting now. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realization Works. Subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.